Hello and welcome to a very special episode of, I, I think we're calling this, or, or have called it in the past, I'd have to actually do research, uh, coordination over reaction. Uh, it's been a while since we've done this, and it has certainly been a while since uh, we, I've been joined uh, here in video form by my good friend, longtime co-host of the Five Heart Podcast, and uh, uh, a hell of a model American, uh, and that is Haas Reuter. Haas, what's going on, brother? Not too much, Greg. How are you? Uh, well, you know, it, it always seems to be Minnesota, doesn't it? That, that brings us to these uh, wild and wacky post-game reactions. Yeah, I think Minnesota's become our own uh, personal Waterloo, to borrow a Ugh. phrase from Napoleon. Uh, I mean, what was that, six years ago, where you and I basically just bared our souls yeah, that was it. It was a Saturday night. Yep, Saturday we, night. We, we jumped on, and uh, uh, that was – here we are. And, yep. and it's, it's – I don't remember. Day. <laughs> it's gross. Uh, I mean, like, it's Minnesota. We invent more ways to lose than Steven Spielberg writes movies. There's got to be a light at the end of the tunnel, though. I we're, – obviously, we're going to talk about it. I, I got to say, uh, those who – most of, of the people who – uh, watch the show live or listen to the podcast, uh, you know, either live Wednesday night or, or listen to the show on Thursday on game day, know that I was coming to the game late. Uh, I had DVR'd. I had a work function at six. Um, so I got home as realistically quick as I could, uh, you know, changed out of my suit and, and sat down ready to go. And of course, I, I think, as soon as I turned on the TV, it was already on the channel. So I think they were just heading to halftime, and I saw, you know, three nothing. I saw the score quickly, but what I saw was Minnesota catching the ball in the end zone. I'm like, oh crap! Come to find out, as I got to it, that was the interception at the end of the first half. Um, not not the last turnover, uh, unfortunately, that Nebraska would have, but. Nope. The DVR. I, I thought that the TV was turned on to the right channel. Apparently, it was just turning on for the temporary basis of the recording. So, we get to the end of of the game, and Nebraska has just turned the ball over again. It's a tie game, and uh, the um, Minnesota has used their timeout to stop the clock. Nebraska used their timeout to try to ice the kicker, and they're coming back onto the field, and the recording stopped. And I frantically like went back to the TV because you know if you're if it's on the channel you can just rewind through the live TV and find it. No, it was off the channel. So I immediately thought, well, you know, obviously Nebraska won in overtime. <laughs> uh, and then and then uh, I believe it was John Dam Johnston from uh, the coordination. I, I I say Twitter, but X or whatever it is. Uh, he said, no, nope, Twitter. That's always gonna be tweet. He said, "Nope, they're still uh, they're playing in 13th overtime." That was sometime Friday morning, <laughs> um, and he was at the game. Uh, but you know, all jokes aside, uh, to, to borrow a for, phrase from baseball, Minnesota walked it off on Nebraska, 13 uh, to 10, scoring the last 10 points of the game in the final four minutes, something like that. I mean, it was we're gonna we're gonna break it down which is great because you have thoughts. But when, when we talked on Friday, you used the term gutted. Yeah. 
Yeah. That was a tough one. That was, for different reasons, that was as painful to watch for me as, I want to say it was 2010. It was Taylor Martinez era. Uh, 2010, the game down at College Station. Oh, where yeah. And, uh, lost like nine to seven or something like that. And, and I was gone that night. It was a, you know, primetime game. I, I, I was gone from home again, DVR. It stayed up till three in the morning to finish watching the game, just to have that ending. That was how this Minnesota game kicking off the season, the beginning of the Matt rule era. It was just, man, I like you. I, I felt like I got kicked in the nuts. That's that's an apropos description. Uh, just a groin kick, you know, straight on from one of the old school straight on field goal kickers of the 70s. You know, when they wouldn't even line up at an angle, they were just straight back from the holder. Uh, but there was a part of me that when I realized that kick was going through, where as deflated and crushed as I was, I just had the thought of, It doesn't change anything. It doesn't change my opinion of Matt Rule. It doesn't change the trajectory of the rebuild, the duration of the rebuild. It was a really game effort when you consider all the different factors that were at play. It also was a situation where it was truly a game that we had control of until the end, as opposed to a Scott Frost win, a loss that felt like a win, where we'd score a cheap touchdown late to make the game look closer than it actually was, you know, and that happened up in Minnesota two years ago. You know, we were, we were down 30 to, I think 30 to 16 with three minutes left. We score a touchdown to Oliver Martin to make it look closer than it was 30 to 23. So there's a lot to be encouraged by. There's a lot that, you know, I think anytime that regardless of who the head coach is, there's a lot that also, you know, you should question. You should have some healthy skepticism about a few things. It doesn't mean that the hire's a failure by any means. Just like, you know, if we would have won last night, it doesn't mean that Matt Rule's going to, you know, win three national championships in four years. It's just one of those things where you take the good with the bad and you also evaluate everything as objectively as you can, which I know is very difficult for us as fans. You know, fan is short for fanatic as much as I hate that expression. <laughs> um, so, you know, yeah, there's there's plenty of good. There's plenty of bad. There's stuff that we could build upon our strengths. And then there's areas that are a little bit more weaknesses right now that we need to improve those. And namely, that is the passing game. I wanted to be snarky. I, I so wanted to be a smart shirt. They'd be like, what passing game? Um, Dude, I felt like it was 2002 and I was watching Jamal Lord. It, I'll be honest. My, my thing is, and I said this in the offseason, I don't ever want the quarterback to be the leading rusher. No. You, that's you not, that's not a good foundation. They're, they're a distributor. Yeah. They're a nice – their running ability – should solely exist to pick you up first downs, touchdowns in the red zone, in short yardage situations, on third down, you know, you run the quarterback to pick up, you know, a yard or two. But when you're pulling out, like, we like to run that kind of jet uh, it's a jet sweep motion. It's more of an escort motion. 
with an H back or a tight end. We ran a lot with Chancellor Brewington back in 2021. Adrian Martinez would keep it, you know, fake it to the back. Brewington would come in motion around to lead. We ran that yesterday on about a third and three. We pulled that out of the bag. Picked up the first down. It was efficient, you know, is what we had to do. But when you're running essentially quarterback power in that situation and you're using your quarterback as your bell cow, there's you, you can't help but feel like you're in for a long season. I mean, mm-hmm. it kind of felt like it was 2018 all over again, watching Adrian Martinez rip up Colorado. And every time Jeff Sims is getting tackled around the knees, you get sitting there holding their breath, you know, yeah. Yeah, just, that- waiting, just waiting for him to take a little bit longer than everybody else to get up off the turf. So that's where it's like, if we're going to have to ke- rely on that, quarterback run game as the focal point of our offense chances are sims will get hurt at some point this season and we'll be tasked with starting chuba purdy or you know heinrich harburg so there's that's an area that i'm very concerned with on how can we get the i back running game you know up and running no pun intended well played uh we saw uh some ramir johnson last night we saw some gabe Irvin jr um, there were some questions of why didn't we see Gabe Irvin Jr. sooner? Uh, I, I, I think, you know, one, uh, one faithful viewer slash listener friend at the show, Josh said, I don't think he played the entire first quarter, which is odd for someone who was named the starter. Um, now I, I'm not here to speculate or, or ask you for inside information. I don't know if you still know people <laughs> inside the department, but, uh, you know, like, the questions of were there were there some team rule violations, some suspension, things like that. But when Gabe Irvin got going, we saw a lot of promise. And and I know everybody's gonna want to talk about and and blame the loss. People are gonna want to blame the loss on a few things. They're gonna want to blame the loss on the uh should have should have could have been a touchdown by Gabe Irvin, uh where twenty seven yard run. No, the one up the middle. Oh no, yeah, yeah, uh, right yeah, up yeah, the middle yeah. where where he, you know, they, it was right there and was the elbow down. We don't know. Um, they're going to blame the no call, uh, false start on the uh, touchdown by Minnesota. They are going to blame the turnovers. But and and I have my biggest. I'm gonna save this for later in the show. My biggest area of not concern, but my biggest. Uh, where I'm pointing the finger this week. Uh, we'll, we'll say that for a little bit later. But I thought that Gabe Irvin Jr. did deliver on on what he was asked to do. Yeah, I felt like he did too. He got no favors from the offensive line. And, which we expected. I, I yeah, which we expected. And there were moments that they looked serviceable. It wasn't like it was an abject disaster. It didn't look like it was 2022 with Mark Whipple calling the plays. So – there, there were some moments where it looked like, you know, they were getting a good push up front, getting good vertical displacement off the line of scrimmage. But for what Gabe Irvin was asked to do and what he accomplished kind of leads into something that I've really wanted to talk about, you know, ever since we were texting earlier on Friday about how there is a discussion to be had on offense between the strategy that we've selected on what we think is best to win football games 
and the tactical application of it, of how we choose to go about it. That I think is something that we're going to see emerge game by game. And I hope it looks different and it's come into clearer view by game 12 than in game one. But we've decided as a strategy, as a staff, and it's kind of rules identity, that we want to be physical and we want to own the line of scrimmage. And that starts with running the football. That's great. You know, I, I believe in that wholeheartedly. I'm a reformed person that used to mock run the damn ball guy. I am <laughs> him now. You know, you, it's like Nisha said, you know, be careful when you fight monsters. You end up becoming one yourself. You know, I own a shirt that says run the damn ball now. I'm not surprised. In this conference, you have to be able to run the damn ball. I mean, it's – and I, I could get into my whole philosophy and belief on the differences between the Big Ten Conference and the Big 12 Conference, but – that maybe that's another podcast. Maybe if there's time tonight, you know, we'll discuss it. <laughs> but what it comes down to is we want to run the football. We want to be physical. Do we want to do that with an outside perimeter running game that emphasizes sweeps, wide zone, quarterback runs, jet sweeps, reverses, option plays, stuff like that? Or do we want to be – so think of like the San Francisco 49ers and kind of how they like to run their running backs and get their quarterbacks out on the edge with the option to run or throw. And then compare that to somebody like the Tennessee Titans that are going to want to try to control between the tackles with Derrick Henry as a battering ram and just hit body blow after body blow and just attack you north-south between the A-gaps and the B-gaps. So – there's different tactical applications to achieve that strategy. We looked a little bit disjointed and disorganized yesterday in what our idea was to do that because you saw us try to run some isolation plays with Barrett Liebentritt in at fullback. And then you saw us get into some bunch formations and try to run toss. You saw the escort motion with Fedoni, and we were trying to run wide zone or toss. And then you see us running quarterback power and you also see us just running, you know, pure zone read or bash quarterback counter, which Rule pointed out in the post-game press conference. It's great to be multiple, but at the same time, it just looked like we needed to find something and start to really kind of build, like identify what it is as our strength and build upon that strength. And that's hard to do in game. So hopefully it's more on a week-to-week basis that we can build upon that. Because I think that that disjointed nature of how the offense was called yesterday never allowed us to get into a really good flow. You had your you had your hand raised. Yeah, yes, sir. Uh, thank you. Um, the old uh, phrase comes to mind: "Jack of all trades, master of none." Yeah, that, and yes. and and most of the teams that Nebraska is going to go up against have an identity. Yeah. And, and the Big Ten is an identity league. It is. You know, uh, by and large, most of the schools have been doing it the same way for years, decades. I mean, you know, it's, you know, for, for there you, you used to be the Nebraska way. I mean, you, Nebraska used to have an identity, and Nebraska has not had an identity 20 years? Yeah, 20 years. I'd say – and that's not, folks, that's not us like living in the past. It's no. just, it's just, you know, and you know what coincides with that for 20 years? 
our ability to be the most turnover, one of the most turnover prone teams in the country. And I think there's something to be said, and it might be a little esoteric, but there's something to be said about that lack of identity and not taking care of the football. Yeah. You know, because there's kind of this jack of all trades, master of none, you know, when under the, in the Tom Osborne offense, Nebraska played a medley of tunes in the running game. We ran the ball in all different ways. Uh, mm-hmm. We had an NFL pro-style tailback run game, supplemented with the option and a fullback run game. And then in, later into the 90s, a quarterback, shotgun quarterback running game. Well, when, you know, it all was based on development. You know, development of the offensive line, body type, strength and conditioning, good recruiting, all paired together. Right now, we're kind of at a point where less might be more having that identity. And I hate to really invoke this as a reference that maybe we should model it after, but like take Iowa or Wisconsin, for example. They're going to run inside zone. They're going to run outside zone. They're going to run power. And they might have a few, you know, kind of quote unquote exotic runs, you know, a counter or you know, something, you know, as a change up, but they're going to do it and they're going to do it well. And you're going to get sick and tired of seeing it, but it's going to be effective right now. It just felt like the only reliable thing that we had going for us on offense was put the ball in Jeff Sims hands. And as we discussed before we began recording, that just isn't a winning strategy when you're exposing the guy who's supposed to be the entire distributor of your offense that makes it go when you're exposing him to that many hits. I think he had 17 carries. Does that sound right? I mean, I can double check, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I think it was like 17 carries. That's a lot of hits and that's not counting hits that he's taken in the passing game after he releases the ball. Yeah. Let me see here. I get you that information there, uh, sir. Maybe, maybe not. Final stats. Here we are. We have. Uh, let's see. Rushing. 19. Okay. Uh, for 19 carries uh, for 117. Or I'm sorry. A net of 91 yards. So. So, yeah. I mean, that's a lot of opportunities to expose them to injury. And we, I mean, we haven't had a quarterback since Tanner Lee that started every single game in a season. It, it, so here's my, my issue. Yes. Jeff Sims gives you another element. And I think that's all a mobile quarterback should be is an added element, a wrinkle, but they should not be relied upon to be the bulk of your rushing game. Uh, 19 carries, you know, again, yes, throw in some, some, uh, Damn words, some sacks, some some uh, yards for loss. But nineteen times he was brought down with ball in hand, uh, ninety-one yards, four point one yard uh, average yards per rush. Gabe Irvin Jr. seven carries, fifty-five yards, had a long yard, a long run of twenty-seven, and averaged seven point nine. You know, if you swap those two stat lines, if it was Irvin was seventeen for ninety-one. I'm willing to bet that we win the game. Yep. So the importance of like the importance of an eye back centric running game is it opens up the rest of your offense because your quarterback is able to distribute the football via the pass and then 
make plays with his feet when it counts, whether it's on a designed run or it's on a scramble, something like that. It it's, I'm not saying this about Marcus Satterfield, you know, so I don't want anyone to take this the wrong way. Satterfield at this point in year one is just using whatever we have on hand to put together a viable offense. Like it very rarely does an offense in under a staff in year one actually look like what they want to do long-term. It's just, you know, it's kind of a weird transitionary period between, you know, what they have on hand and where they want to go. They're slowly implementing where they want to go with it. But in the case of like Frank Solich, using your quarterback as your bell cow, as you know, in the running game, like Solich did with Crouch and Lord, it's intellectually lazy as a play caller. Because when you have that bell cow, she's like, oh, hey, just give it to them. You know, yep. you fail to build a supporting cast around you. Jamal Lord had probably one of the worst supporting casts around him in Nebraska history in 2002 and 2003. Eric Crouch was our entire offense in 2001. (laughs) Darren Diedrich did chip in 1,200 yards, but a lot of that was opened up because Crouch, you know, had the bulk of the work. And, you know, that was still when we had a decent offensive line. But one thing that it seems like in retrospect that Frank never quite understood, and I don't want to make this podcast rehashing, relitigating Nebraska history, but one thing I don't think Frank ever fully grasped was in T.O.'s offense, the quarterback was never the main ball carrier. It was always the running back. It was mm-hmm. always the eye back. You know, the quarterback was supplemental in nature only. It wasn't until Frost, you know, started kind of, you know, we started tinkering with the shotgun running game that Frost started to emerge as, you know, like our first thousand yard rusher as a quarterback. So Frank kind of expanded upon that. And I know Florida did that with Tebow, but again, you had Percy Harvin, you had Chris Rainey, you had other players there to carry the load. You can't just be a solely quarterback centric run game or else you're going to have a guy who misses a lot of time due to injury and your offense is going to be pretty one dimensional. As I'm, I'm looking at the receiving stats. I mean, Jeff Sims went 11 for 19, 114 yards, one touchdown, three sacks, three interceptions. Uh, That is a hell of an underwhelming line. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Not good, Bob. Nope, nope. Um, Again, you know, we we talked about – Ross say bowling shoe ugly? Bowling shoe ugly. Um, and and nobody, I don't think anybody last night was tougher than a two dollar steak. <laughs> I don't know. Sims was dishing out some punishment. I mean, he I'll say that he he stood in there and he didn't uh, what um I'm gonna mispronounce his name. I'm not gonna do it, but Ethan uh Kaliak Manis did a lot more uh QB surrenders, you know, like he 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 slid, he got down to avoid contact where Sims I think was out looking for it. Now he was just um, like I, I don't want anyone to think that I'm speaking negatively of Jeff Sims. He's a hell of a player. We're lucky to have him. It's just I disagree with some of the usage, you know. And it's easy for me to sit here from the cheap seats and say this, you know, armchair OC this thing. It's just long term. There's implications at stake, you know, when your quarterback is your primary ball carrier. Um, he's just being asked to. He's just doing what he's being asked to do. In the passing game, uh, our receivers struggled to get open. We are very thin in the yep. receiver room. 
And, you know, yet we still had opportunities there. Um, putting in Tommy Hill, you know, to run, you know, I, I believe it was off either an RPO or off hard play action. He's open. You know, that, that ball Just almost got there to him. You know, so um, if – if we look at how we use Sims in the passing game, where if he's got that much mobility, like we saw that he has roll him out, use him on bootlegs, scrambles, use it to your advantage. Cause if you get a guy like that running, it's going to pull the secondary coverage apart. Somebody's going to come up and run support. That's going to leave somebody open. Um, the interception right before the half where he tried to force it into um, drawing a blank. Who's running the corner route. Washington? Yeah, Marcus Washington. Nate Berkicher, you know, it's a little snag spot concept to the boundary. Nate Berkicher, he pops open on the snag route at the front of the goal line. He needs to be the, the guy that he throws. Right. I don't love that play call in that situation because the it's such a condensed area of the field and snag is a natural spacing concept. You're trying to force a horizontal, vertical, and oblique stretch of the coverage. So, you know, roll them out to the other side. Run sprint snag to the other side. And, again, it's easy to armchair OC this thing, but, you know, those are those opportunities in film study where people see, you know, these things and, you know, think in the future, hey, maybe we'll do it this way. We're, we're, we're getting there. Uh, we're about to talk about my biggest beef with the game and, and what I truly believe is the reason that we lost. But before we do that, what are you benching now, dude? I I only asked that because like, okay, uh, I'm 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 my my shirt is snug on me, but not on the chest side. Definitely on like the Greg's got beautiful belly. But but like you are like Herbie's doing his best to, to keep you, you know, to keep from stretching out like damn stretch arms. Yeah. What what are you doing, man? Uh I'm benching about 335, 345 is a one rep max. Uh, squats closing in on 500. You know, Good. well done, well done. Yeah, I know um, somebody who's barely 200 pounds. Well, let's just say weight has nothing to do with it yeah. because I'm quite a bit more than 200 pounds, and you know, it's all it's all about how it's how it's fit into the system there. Um, and I don't know how much you want to get into the the year that you've had uh, on this show i know you sure. kind of kicked around the idea of wanting to talk about that on on uh, a very special five hour podcast coming this friday night so i, I you you we you can dictate that but i want to go back to here's why we lost nebraska's trying to be a physical football team nebraska's trying to establish themselves uh, and their run game again. Nebraska is leading 10 to 3 mm. in the fourth quarter and first, second, and third downs. They throw the ball incomplete. That is the time to, I'm sorry, run the damn ball, shorten the game, move the sticks because the passing game was not working. You're putting too much uh, of a burden on Jeff Sims. It would have been a great time to, you know, utilize run Gabe Irvin Jr. because as we talked about with those statistics, it was working. He was manning his way through some of those holes. He has enough speed to get outside 
and set the edge himself and and get let him get four yards. Let me tell you, you get four yards every down in three downs, you move the chains. Yep. Four, and, four, and, four. It's, and it's all you got to do, all you got to do is shorten the game. But instead, and part of me is like, oh, yes, Matt Rule and Mark Satterfield, they want to they want to go for the throat. They want to, you know, because they, they took shot. They took that shot downfield, came up empty. But that was their home run ball. Like that was the one that they were counting on. We're going to put the biscuit in the basket. We're going to put go up two scores, and we're not going to have to. Not gonna have know, to we, we could, we, we're going to take the air out of uh, the stadium. What happened was not that. What happened was they uh, – that's not the, the Anthony Grant fumble. I think that came earlier. Um, but no, I was they, on the next drive. Thank you. Um, they lose the ball. That you know they they have to you know turn over on downs they 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 punch it away. Minnesota goes down, scores. And I thought I saw I thought the last drive was the one where uh, Sims threw the last interception. Yeah, that yeah last drive and then. So maybe you know, I'm talking about the last three drives, but yeah, but but again, if you're no, it's a it's a cascade. It's it, it's a cascade that and, and I, I'm not here to another. I'm not here to poo poo on Anthony Grant. I mean, what he did at the beginning of last year, you know, was a terrific addition that we needed at the time. But if you're worried about the guy's hands, maybe don't give him the ball when the game's close. That's exactly what I thought. That's exactly what I thought when Rule in the last two weeks had mentioned Grant by name as somebody who's in the doghouse a little bit for fumbling in fall camp. It's unfortunate that it got clubbed out, stripped out by the defender, but he didn't have great ball security to begin with. He's not carrying it. You know, he doesn't have that against his body with, right. you know, five points of contact. He's kind of carrying it a little bit more out here, and there's enough space where it, when it gets clubbed out, it just pops out, you know. And so when you, so the home run ball that we tried to hit to Tommy Hill, followed up by the fumble, followed up by the interception. Three drives right there were for 55 minutes. The play calling and, you know, the overall game management was really good. The execution left some things to be desired, but there's a recipe. You can tell this staff has a recipe to win football games. In the mm-hmm. You know, this isn't like watching, you know, Mike Riley, you know, Danny Langsdorf and Scott Frost offenses snap the ball with, you know, sub- 17. You know, 17 seconds left on the play <laughs> clock when they should be taking that thing all the way down to three and just right. controlling what you can control. So it's just errors, you know, some of them, you know, tip a hat to uh, Joe Rossi in the Minnesota defense. That dude has put together consistently good defenses since he got promoted in 2018. I don't want to. Also, we, no. we had some unforced errors. Oh, yeah. We we had some things that are totally 100% within our responsibility to prevent from happening. And so when you look at like, yeah, if we hit that pass to Tommy Hill, you know, we basically choke the life out of Minnesota. If Grant doesn't fumble, there's probably a chance that we keep running out the clock or at the very least we pick up another first down, then have to punt. And Minnesota's got to go 90 yards against our defense 
you know, in just a few minutes. And then obviously Sims, you know, I was thinking that we might cobble together enough to go down there, you know, drive down there and give Tristan Alvano a chance to hit a game winner in his first game as, you know, yeah. a college kicker. So it's not for a lack of – I mean, it sounds elementary, but it's not for a lack of effort. It's not for a lack of a good plan. It's just, you know, it's football. You know, uh, and, you know one team made plays, one team didn't. I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. You're, you're being. I, I, I hate to be that guy. That said that. I, you're being far more altruistic than uh, I. I envision. I'm, I'm gonna say this for the fifty-ish minutes, whatever fifty-three uh, minutes uh, before this, you know, uh, series of series. Pardon me for the uh, redundancy there. I thought it was a good game plan that was executed okay. I'll even say it was executed fine. But in those last three series, the and, and I apologize to everybody out there listening. No, no, I don't. They're used to us. It was a shit game plan with shit execution. Yeah. And they're, what happened was we got shit on. I will say this. It didn't remind me of 2018 Colorado and Adrian Martinez throws a pick when trying to hit an out route to the boundary, you know, and then the next that then that next drive, it's we're off the field on third and 25, but Antonio Reed hits um, Jay McIntyre, the receipt, Mike McIntyre's son late, you know, mm-hmm. and then the next play, they hit that bomb to LaVisca Chenault. You know, it's not that kind of dumbassery, you know, right there. Um, it's not 2015 BYU where we can't <laughs> run the clock out and we give them a chance. I mean, that thing was a short Hail Mary. That thing was maybe, what, 40, 45 yards? I mean, it's not like it was, you know, some ridiculous bomb. So, you know, there's different things, different ways that you lose a game that's like, okay, is it totally within your wheel, you know, your locus of control or is it a little bit more, hey, we did something stupid, defense made a good play? Or is it, you know, you did something really stupid or the defense did everything to make it happen for themselves? And I know that, uh, again, kind of it's maybe an altruistic point of view that, Greg, you're probably thinking like, what the hell is going on with this guy? I don't remember him being this uh, I'm, I'm, altruistic. I'm, I'm going to go back to the text just to see if it's there. Um Let's see here. See if I can find it exactly. Oh, come on now. Uh, okay, I. All right, so maybe maybe I interpreted it wrong. Maybe I'll 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 follow on that sort. Uh, when you texted this morning before nine o'clock, which is pretty awesome i'm absolutely gutted this morning after the loss i have many thoughts i honestly thought that there was gonna be a lot more piss and vinegar um no i'm just i'm just sad man i i got into the office i i worked just a couple hours this morning because my oldest only had half day of school so i had to go grab him and uh you know i i stopped i i dropped him off I went to a bakery, really good donuts, and I got three dozen donuts. And I took two to my wife's office, two dozen, and I took uh, uh, one dozen out to my office. And one of the guys coming, he's like, "You're, you seem a lot happier today than I expected you to be." 
And then I, that's when I told him, I'm like, I don't know what you, you have. Last I heard the game was tied. My DVR went off and I, I'm pretty sure that's just how the game ended. <laughs> but I, I walked into work and uh, one of our kind of executive administrators, uh, secretaries for lack of a better term, um, she sees me as I walk in and she goes to say something. Man, I was just, hey, I don't want to talk about it right now. You know, I was just like, no, not right now. I, I know it's going to um, – Let me tell you, the Iowa fans that I work with were crowing an awful lot this morning for a team that we beat 24-17 last year to deny them a chance to go get their ass kicked by Michigan in the conference championship game. See, you know, it feels this is good. why you need to come around more often. <laughs> it feels good to have scoreboard over those guys. For the first time yeah. in a long time. Um, you better get real comfortable with it. Yeah. I – I forgot where I was going with that. Yeah, so so most of my most of my finger pointing honestly is at the play call in the last five seven minutes that Nebraska had the ball. Again, I think, pardon the cliche or or the phrase or that we that we like, you run the damn ball, you shorten the game, and you keep Minnesota's offense off the field. Let's let's flip to the other side. Uh, I thought Nebraska's defense played very well, especially when. I think there were more question marks on that side. Um, but Malcolm Hartzog, I know he got beat on the on that uh, touchdown catch, but that was a hell of a move that that receiver put on him. And that was a hell of a you know a way to concentrate. Like I, I, I tend not to give our opponents their flowers, right? But I mean, the way he they really shine when they were reviewing it, they were really slowing it down. He catches the ball. He's looking back and looking down making sure he drags that back foot all before he puts the other foot out of bounds. And I was like, damn. Yeah. I, yeah. I sat there just for a second in disbelief. Yeah. Uh, Cause like real time when, the, when that play happened real time, I was like, Oh, he's out. He's out. You know? And then they slow it down. It's like, Oh no, he's not. Um, but defensively, I like, I like our defense from a scheme standpoint and from a personnel standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to start off with the personnel because, you know, as everybody knows from what you were asking me earlier, I love weightlifting. Um, And so I like the way that our athletes in the front seven looked fluid and explosive. They didn't look muscle bound like they did under Duval. They looked like they were athletic. You know, they made plays. They were disruptive. You know, I I believe your looked really good. I believe your uh, phrase is uh, uh, oh, uh, functional weight. Yeah, functional. Yeah, functional strength. Functional, functional strength. Son of a bitch. I was this close. And to uh, Nash Hutmacher looked explosive. He did not look explosive like that last year. Yeah. Uh, Ty Robinson, which we can get into that ejection and just kind of the whole you know, thought uh, process behind when that happened. That I also think he, he should know better. He knows. should know better. He should. He should. I think he was probably getting frustrated with the standpoint that he was getting held all game and that officiating crew is just letting it go. But Ty was playing at an all American level last night. And I explain that because, um, and I'm not, I'm not here to, you know, bash on him. It's unfortunate. Um, You know, I try and find his stats if I can. Um, Nope. I mean, he, what about it? Because he doesn't really show up on the stat sheet. No, he doesn't. And he's, but the disruption jumps off the screen to you. 
Okay. You know, he, he can dominate the guy across from him, even when the guy gets hands on him to the chest plate. Um, you saw multiple times Ty just shooting the gap into the backfield, being quicker than the guy across from him. He's playing, and I think by and large, I think people on this podcast know that I'm a little bit more reserved and kind of tend towards, dare I say, cynicism on things. You know, I kind of tend to take a uh, realistic view on, you know, players. Um, He was playing like you would expect a top 10 draft pick to play. Okay. He, he, he was controlling the game. If Jeff Spims was the best player on the field on offense last night, Ty Robinson was far and away the best player on the field on defense last night. So, so I mean, that that's important because he's, he's not, and I, I'm, this is the first one, like if Jill's watching or hearing this, she's going to yell at me, but this isn't San Diego state. I mean, that's not South Dakota state. This isn't, uh, Idaho or Middle Tennessee, you know this is saying Iowa, brother. <laughs> but this is a a Big Ten West opponent, like you 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 know a team that's historically put together some really fucking good offensive lines. And we can drop f bombs, right? Yeah. Okay. Just, it's fine. I mean, it's always fine. You kind of looked at me like, like what? I wasn't. I just wasn't expecting it. You, because it's the first one you dropped all night. And I was like, huh. That's what that sounds like again. <laughs> That's a record, 41-21, okay. <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, he'll have to sit the first half of Colorado, which will hurt. Um, but I will say I really like a lot of the other bodies that we have up front, you know. Blaze Gunnarsson I thought played well. Gunnarsson might be the most prototypical NFL build on the defensive line. And he played. He's very disruptive. It's good to see that he's fully healthy because that was quite the recruiting coup that we had back in was he class of twenty twenty, I think. Um, Elijah Judy got some quality snaps. Cameron Lenhart's going to be a very good player at defensive end. He's also because of the nature of this conference, he's going to take some lumps against some wily veteran Big Ten offensive sure. tackles. Let's just call a spade a spade. That was a false start on the touchdown, you know, and you because you can even you can even see Len Hart kind of look around like, ah, what are we are we gonna what, what's going on, you know? Yeah. But and then at the second level, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Nick Henrich got Wally pipped, you know, if John Bullock doesn't give up that spot because John Bullock was very athletic and disruptive from his inside linebacker spot. Luke Reimer played really well. Um, I- I, I don't want to, I don't want to come across like and I hate to interrupt you but no, I almost feel like we're taking Luke Reimer for granted because yeah, he's been he's, here so long he's, he's, he's played at a high level he's played there. as a high level his entire career I feel yeah yeah he's just a, what do you have in, like in one of his second starts against Buffalo in twenty one like twenty some tackles it was nuts he went off yeah, yeah, he, um, yeah I mean he's he's a very good player you can tell that he's finally bulked up. He was always a little undersized. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you're going up against guards who are going to drive block you or tight ends who are down blocking up to the second level or fullbacks, H-backs coming through, it wears on you in the Big Ten conference. And this looks like a Big Ten defense for the first time since probably, I mean, the 2012, <laughs> 2013 defenses, you know, the – they got ran all over. They could defend the pass. Yeah. Mike Riley's defenses could defend the run. 
but you know they didn't really affect the passer. Uh, so this looks basically just like our first legit Big Ten defense. Wow! Because by and large, we've had serious problems containing Minnesota's running game. And I know people can point to it and say, "Hey, they lost John Michael Schmitz. They lost three offensive linemen. They lost Muhammad Ibrahim. They lost Tanner Morgan. They have new co-offensive coordinators." Their identity has always been to run the football. Mm-hmm. I mean, when they had two first-team All Big Ten receivers in 2019, with I believe Rashad Bateman and I'm drawing Tyler Johnson was the other one. Uh, they still had more running. They still averaged more run plays than pass plays. Sure. I think it was like a 60-40 split. Might have been a little bit more, give or take. And so they've all their identity identity has always been to run the football. And so for us to come out there in game one with a new defensive staff, entirely new scheme, a host of new players across the board and do what we did, I'm very encouraged. Now, from that, the recipe should be fairly obvious of what we need to do on offense to supplement that defense, and that is to we have the strategy to be physical and own line of scrimmage and run the football. But again, it goes back to that tactical application of it. Do we want to try to be outside run, quarterback run game centric, or do we want to try to set up body blow after body blow inside with a Gabe Urban, you know, running the ball and then use Sims on the edge on bootlegs option. And yes, the occasional zone read, you know, that, that can be a part of our offense, but right now, that recipe has emerged. I mean, we have a really good special teams unit. Brian Bassini averaged 47.7 a kick yesterday. Ramir Johnson totally flipped the complexion. Oh, my gosh. With that kickoff return. First one in God knows how long. I think it might have been Kenny Bell in 2013 against Penn State. I, was tw- I wasn't even 23 years old yet. I'll be 33 <laughs> this November, Skipper. No, and, and, and we really didn't talk about that um, because it was from that a little trickery. Uh, that the Nebraska, Osborne. Uh, the Osborne, yeah, that Nebraska got their touchdown. But I want to go back to holding the Gophers' rushing attack because they 55 finished yards. fifty-five net yards, uh, which is the exact number that Gabe Irvin Jr. had. Think about that. Uh, and as we mentioned, Jeff Sims had uh, finished with a net ninety-one, including being sacked three times. Uh, that is a tremendous output. But but that type of uh, run blocking happens at all three levels. And we mentioned, you know, all the guys up front. We've mentioned uh, the guys in, in the, the linebacker core. But, I mean, we, let's talk – let's spend just a few minutes here uh, talking about the, that secondary. I think the secondary played really well. Uh, you know, I mentioned Malcolm Hartsog and, and, and that great move on the touchdown that, that you know, I almost forgive him for because – his head had to feel, he had to feel like Beetlejuice with his head spinning around with that. But uh, Omar Brown had the the interception, uh, which I feel like came along at just a good time. Again, you're building momentum in that second half, uh, and it all stemmed from the the uh, kickoff return by Ramir Johnson. So, uh, but you also have uh, I think Quentin Newsom's really coming into his own finally. And then and, we and, still get Marquez Buford back. In about week five, week six, he tore his ACL against Wisconsin last year in second game to last, second to last game of the season. It, it, I just, you know, I, I feel like there's a lot to be positive about, and I feel bad that immediately after the game last night, I felt really negative. 
Yeah. Um, no, I did. I, I did too. You know, I had that. Despite all of what I've said about how the positives to look at, I still had that feeling when that kick went through. I just was like, doesn't change anything. You know, it's, and I mean, it's kind of a double entendre there. It doesn't change my timeline of what I thought, how quickly Matt Rule could turn this thing around. It doesn't, you know. It also, it's like our our luck didn't change. But that is a discussion where, you know, people want to say that we are the unluckiest team in college football. <laughs> we are the Chicago Cubs of Ooh, college football. That Don't do that. That hurts my heart when you say that on two, the whole on two levels. The thing that it boils down to is, you know, those Dos Equis commercials, fortune favors the bold. Mm-hmm. Well, fortune favors the most well-prepared. And the reality is for the past 20-some years, we have not been a well-prepared, well-coached football team most times. We have done things that we – there are gaps in our preparation. There are gaps in our execution that open the door for other teams to find a way to win games. So, like, instead of just saying, hey, we're cursed, it's like, no, let's look in the mirror and let's, you know, figure out why systemically why we have a, you know, this history of bad luck as an institution. And it stems from we have to just find a way to make it happen. You know, it's maybe there's a collective consciousness to college football, you know, a zeitgeist, if you will. But it's become pretty infectious to the entire program. I want to uh, throw this notion out there. Uh, so Jarek Shear is a newer uh, contributor to Coronation, and he's been joining John and myself on the Five Heart Podcast the last couple of weeks. And so he was uh, with us on Wednesday night for our, uh, you know, Minnesota preview, our our season rundown predictions, and he said a lot of it hinges on Wisconsin. I'm sorry, not Wisconsin, Minnesota. He says if uh, if we beat Minnesota, I can see us going nine and three. If we lose, I can see us going five and seven where, you know, we have a little extended, you know, week of preparation for Colorado. Uh, Obviously, coaches, team will be able to see some film on them when they take on TCU uh, later today. Um, And and then, you know, you have two should-be no-brainers. We say that, but the last time Northern Illinois came to Nebraska, it didn't work out so well for uh, Sean Eichhorst and then later Mike Riley uh, and then Louisiana Tech. But where does Nebraska go? Like what, what's the new floor after the Minnesota loss? What's the new ceiling after the Minnesota loss? Well, I will agree that I was under the thinking that if you, if you go in there and you take one against Minnesota, that kind of confidence, that jolt to the program that it would give us, you could be looking at nine and three where maybe your losses are to Michigan, Illinois, and one out of Wisconsin, Maryland, or Michigan State. But I really don't think that it changes that much from the standpoint of the expectation has always been just get to a bowl this year. Mm-hmm. So if we start out 0 and 1, we finish, you know, six and six. Hey, we're bowling. That's all that matters. I'm not too particularly hung up about the record this year with the one caveat being a bowl game is absolutely critical. Like that would do so much for the positive momentum of this program to get to a bowl this year. What I'm hung up on is. Do do you remember the last time Nebraska went to a bowl game? 
Yeah, I can. Yeah, it was. I was a fresh. I just started my undergraduate degree at UNO. I got a whole ass undergrad and master's degree since the last network. <laughs> I I just know it. You know, I, I bring this story up a lot because uh, I watched that bowl game on New Year's Eve uh, from the uh, hospital on a little iPad Mini with my newborn son in on my chest and he will be eight this december oh man it's been a minute well no maybe that's the last bowl win that was when we played ucla, yeah, UCLA. we lost yeah, we yeah, lost yeah, to tennessee after was the last time we were in a bowl game yeah. it's still all right let's go yeah. back and that's yeah, how long it's been since so we had a bowl win okay i'm <laughs> most concerned with are we a better team in game 12 than we are in game Sure. So if we come out like, say, for all you Iowa Hawkeye fans that like to listen to our content because you have a serious misplaced sense of jealousy, uh, <laughs> let's say we beat Iowa twenty-seven to ten on Black Friday. I'm going to wager a guess that we are we have developed into being a better team in Game Twelve than we were in Game One. That is what I'm most concerned with. Now, the one thing that really concerns me with that statement about are we better in game 12 than game one is we showed a lot of the same tendencies yesterday that we have shown for the past, you know, 20-some years. Turn the football over. Untimely penalties. Yep. You know, finding a way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory because, you know, you can talk about luck all you want, but Malcolm Hartzog bites on that double move. And it was a great route that he ran. Isaac Gifford drops an interception. We get a little impatient with trying to put the game away, and we throw three straight passes on one of our last drives as we're coming down the stretch. Ty Robinson gets frustrated, and he uh, gets ejected for a personal foul, roughing the passer penalty. Those are things all within our control. Mm -hmm. That's nothing that Minnesota did. You know, play, you you know, Malcolm Hartzog, you're already aligned – shading on the outside of the receiver maintain that outside shade i know you're worried about getting beat inside on the slant because you're lined up on the outside half of the receiver but in that situation fade routes are generally what the offense is going to run fourth and ten from the high red zone area right you know play the odds play the percentages it's all things that are within our control and so on one hand that's the most demoralizing part of it where it's like, God, it was right there. You know, on the other hand, Hey, it was all within our control. You know, it's not like we need this, 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 and this to go right. Hey, let's just clean this up. When you, you can change your fortune by looking internally. Yes. So, um, I, I, Oh, I was going to ask, you know, as you, as you said, we want to find out the the real marker will be, are we better in week 12 than we were in week one? And I have to ask, does that mean I need to have John fire up some t-shirts to say incremental improvement? I think so. I think we're, we're, (laughs) yeah, we are. uh, Carol Dweck would be really happy with our incremental growth theory mentions on this podcast, but no. Yeah. I mean, that is, and this is why I love year one of a new coaching staff. Because you don't know what you're going to get quite yet. Every every week's kind of like Christmas morning, in a sense. And you just want to see each week 
be a little bit better of a gift mm -hmm. that came before, you know, mm -hmm. like, and that, you know, so let's say that we go out to Boulder and Dion, we truck Dion Sanders, just like running backs used to in the NFL. Cause while that guy was a great cover corner, that dude did not like coming up and run support. No, so did not like say, the contact. Let's say, and I'll, I, I won't say my prediction yet. I'll leave that to the end of the show. No, I'll leave that for next week. I'm sorry. Uh, ahead let's though, say we, we <laughs> handily win that game. And we beat Northern Illinois and then Louisiana Tech. I was trying to remember what order they came in. And then let's say we play Michigan in Lincoln and we play them to within – it's a similar ball game to Minnesota. Maybe a little bit cleaner, but it's a Big Ten – run the ball, play defense, you know, the kind of game where, you know, if you're a defender, you know, you're getting blocked by a fullback who rattles some fillings, you know, in your teeth, you know, it's a 17, 14 kind of game, mm -hmm. 13 to 10, 17, 13, stuff like that. And we're three and two on October 1st, you know, our losses are to Minnesota and Michigan. I'll take it. You know, you're three and two with seven games to go. So that kind of incremental improvement might manifest itself even in a loss against a superior opponent. Now, the thing is, Michigan is the only team on this schedule that I will confidently point to on the remaining schedule and say they are better than us. And I know that probably sounds weird because Illinois beat us 26 to 9 last year. Purdue has beat us almost every year since 2018. <sighs> You son of a bitch. <laughs> I love it. Hey, I love it, man. You're drinking the roulade. Oh, I don't know. I don't like to rebrand my, my, my beverages. But uh, no, like Michigan is the only one that on paper I can confidently point to and say, yeah, that's a loss right out of the gate. You know, need a lot of factors to go in. Need a lot of fat, like Jim Harbaugh gets food poisoning from a Baconator before the game. Um, oh, you know, brilliant. <laughs> Blake Corum, you know, he just decides that eh, football is not for me anymore, bro. You know, stuff like that. But other than that, every game is imminently winnable and every game is imminently losable. Yeah. You know, that's the razor's edge that we're going to be walking. But are yeah, we walking that year or that edge for eight years or, or exactly. more? So, so are we going to stack success, incremental improvement week over week? to get to a point where it progressively overloads to week 12, where we are a much improved team. I think, I think what I want to see, obviously better execution, yeah. uh, you know, uh, but I want to see if the coaching staff can learn from their mistakes. I go back to, you know, I referenced Tim Beck and Tim Beck would call a terrific first half. And then when everything's going right after halftime, you'd be like, let's make all these adjustments nobody asked for. I, do you remember what? that joke that I had back in the day where I wanted to make an album cover, the Tim Beck, greatest hits of Tim Beck, and do like a breakdown of the greatest play calls that he had? His offenses, oh. beautifully constructed. They're yeah. works of art. He just didn't know how to troubleshoot them or adjust in-game. Yeah. And and what I would like to see is this coaching staff learn from the mistakes of this Thursday night, where if you have a lead, a close lead in a close game late in the game, maybe you're not going to start airing it out. Maybe you're not going to start giving the other team 
several opportunities. Maybe you will uh, take your number one I back RB, you know, whatever t- the guy who's top of the Bell depth cow. chart. Thank you. And, and who's not your quarterback, by the way, Important and, you, and you will put the team on his back, give him the opportunity to get you there. I think I, I really do think that if they would have just, you know, and I don't know if, if something happened with uh, Gabe Urban Jr. where he had a cramp or, or what, but I don't think we didn't hear anything like that. Um, but I think that if you would have just fed him more in that fourth quarter, in, in the latter half of that fourth quarter, in those final drives, you walk out of there, if not a 10-3 win, maybe a 17-3 win or a 17-10 or something like that, you walk out of there with the W because you really had to start making Minnesota play from from a place that they weren't used to playing from, and that's trailing and, you know, uh, oh crap! I'm going to mispronounce his name again. Um, Callie McManus. Thank you. Uh, you know, very good. I'm not going to say great, but very serviceable at, at what he did. Well, um, you know, he, it's he, funny threw, that- he threw the ball 44 times. I don't think if 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 you would ask PJ Fleck at going into last night's game, coach, how many times you plan on throwing the ball tonight? 20 at the most. You know, I think that the defense as stiff as it was, got them out of the comfort zone. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And so if you run the ball, I'm going to harp on this. I'm going to become the damn run the damn ball guy. I'm going to send you a shirt. Yes. But if you run the damn ball, you you leave Minnesota with the W. So what I really – I'm I'm already old. Like, see all this gray hair, dude? Like, I I keep it short, but it's gray. Uh, I'm that guy. I'll be 33 this November. Feeling in the years. I'm 41. Damn, man. You old. You old. (laughs) Summer. Hey, as Phil Leotardo would say in The Sopranos, 41, just a kid. (laughs) What I want is the defense to realize, or or not, sorry, not the defense, the, uh, the coaching staff to not pull the Tim back. Like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. Adapt the, that adopt that mentality. Because if you keep running the ball, I promise you, you win last night. That that's where kind of that discussion about strategic, you know, having your strategic vision and kind of dabbling back and forth and what the tactical application of that is. That's kind of what I'm referencing where we have an offensive line that kind of struggled on functional movement on like wide zone plays and getting out and blocking, you know, you know, horizontally, but you know, you got guys like Noli at guard and um, Piper and Ben Scott, which we haven't even talked about the center position yet. Right. Uh, might have to grab another beer for that one. Might have to take a quick break so I can grab another one. Uh, you have guys who are earth movers, you know, and um, let's, Maybe we need to reevaluate where we're at and maybe emphasize duo or inside zone where it's a little more straight ahead, step to the defender, get vertical displacement off the line of scrimmage, and just let your back, you know, land some body blows on the defense. So maybe, you know, that's an area where, hey, you know, we make adjustments based on what we have. Another area that Tim Beck 
really did not excel at because, yeah. you know, if something wasn't working, he would panic and go, instead of looking at why it didn't work and troubleshooting it with slight adjustments, he would just go wholesale changes mm-hmm. across the board. His offense is from, I was going to say half to half, but kind of more like possession to possession could look like completely different schemes. I mean, we could go from looking like, you know, running pistol, being a pistol zone running game to looking like old school Nebraska. And then on the next drive, we're looking like, you know, Texas Tech Mike Leach air raid. You know, it was just, it was a Frankenstein of offense. Yep. So that's one thing with Marcus Satterfield. This is not a Frankenstein offense of different schemes rolled together. We just need to figure out what best matches our personnel and our strategy. I want to put a pin in the Ben Scott topic and let's save something for Friday night for the five heart. Um, Let's just dive into it. We're already an hour in. Uh, Everybody knows. I mean, you had been a regular on the five heart podcast for a number of years since 2017. Uh, Mm -hmm. You stepped in and like, we're not going to, I guess. All right, everybody, we apologize. This is going to be the sad part of the show. All right, let's just get to it right there. Um, you stepped in when Brian Toll got sick. Yep. And stayed with me. Uh, kind of just happened. I I feel I was a pinch hitter, and then like it's like, hey, congrats, you're a podcast co-host. Now. Yeah. Uh, and and we we uh, rode together, just the two of us, for a number of years. Yep. And then John Johnston, of course, came came in. Just I think. It was supposed to be more of a one-off, but he enjoyed himself, so he became he's the third. Like, yeah, yeah, he's he's John. We all love John. Uh, but we were the tripod, as it was known. Um, and <laughs> we still talk about that sometimes. When, uh, when, when, uh, anyway. Um, and then you went back to school. Yep. And not like back to school, like you had been going to school, but grad you, school. Grad school, like, hey, man, I, I got to. I got to ease off the gas a little bit. And, and part of it was you were, I mean, you were just spread so thin. Mm-hmm. And so you graduated about a year and a half ago, correct? Uh, yeah. May of 22. Okay. So you're, you're a change. Um, almost, almost 18 months. And you were working hard. When did you start? And you're not going to name, the place you work at but when did you start that job uh last december so you spent a lot of time looking for jobs applying interviewing and understandably so kept a a safe distance from from what could sometimes be a volatile uh setting over here uh at at the five heart podcast uh or the other show that i'm on (laughs) um and Knowing full well that, and I, and I touch basically every few weeks, but like, is this week going to be the week? Nope. Okay. I'll keep asking. Uh, door is always open. Yep. And November? Uh, yeah. Yeah. N- November, you experienced a, uh, uh, a life-changing uh, personal event. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tell us about Ray. Yeah. Um, Ray was, I mean, like when you talk about somebody who is your friend, you know, and you talk about, you know, 
you got, you know, your your best friend, then you got maybe, you know, some close friends, then it's kind of acquaintances. Like Ray was like a brother to me, truly, you know, and like I, I have a brother, I have an older brother, but like Ray and I were We don't talk about that sack of crap. No. What? I was joking. I was like, we don't talk about that sack of crap, brother. No. Ray and I were like two peas in a pod, man. Yeah. Like same interest, Nebraska football, weightlifting, doing really stupid stuff, you know, like you name it, we did it, you know. And um yeah, we uh we became friends when we were juniors in high school and strength training class. And it was right around the time we were firing Bill Callahan and hiring Bo Pelini. And so like we were just talking football constantly. And you know, um over the, you know, graduated high school in 2009. And, you know, most times people go their separate ways after they graduate high school. But, you know, we got together every weekend, watched Nebraska football still. And, you know, when we were a little bit older and actually had money, you know, we started going to road games. You know, him and I witnessed, well, our collapse at Northwestern and Scott Frost's first year and our collapse in Boulder and Scott Frost's second year and getting beat by Minnesota and, 21 up in Minneapolis. And uh, so, you know, huge Nebraska football fan. I mean, he was an absolute diehard fan. I, uh, I've honest to God, probably have watched over a hundred games, you know, in the course of, you know, our friendship. And so last November, he was in a tragic work accident and uh, he went into a coma for four days and on November 4th, he was declared brain dead. And on November 5th, he passed away. He he passed away literally just about 10 minutes before um, the Nebraska-Minnesota game last year kicked off. And so when I received that call right before kickoff, it was very uh, surreal when you mm-hmm. think of, you know, how many years it would have been, you know, getting together to watch the game right then and there, you know? And so it was, uh, this week's been a little bit of, you know, some reflection thinking about, you know, Ray and thinking about, you know, this is the first time since 2007 that I won't watch or discuss Husker football with him. And so, um, that being said, you know, those people in your life that you have that bond with, you know, I've always said like, I'll be friends with anybody, you know, if I, if I like you, I like you, you know, we'll be friends. But like, I've always joked around, if you're a Husker football fan, we're going to be even better friends because we're going to get together on Saturdays to watch games. We're going to text back and forth about games. Might, you know, go to games, whether it's in Lincoln or it's a road game. And so, you know, that's one of the things that I love so much about, you know, college football, football in general, being a Nebraska fan is, those relationships that you develop with people who have your similar interests, you know, and they're passionate about the same team that you're passionate about. It's a, you know, it's an identity kind of thing, you know, Mm -hmm. as we, as human beings, we all like to, you know, align ourselves with people who are like-minded to us. And so, you know, those people in your life that, you know, you get together with to watch Husker football with that you text back and forth about it, you know, um, not to get too sappy, but, you know, Take this opportunity to tell them, you know, what they mean to you, you know, and make an effort. If you haven't seen them in a while, make an effort to watch the, you know, Nebraska Colorado game together or just a game or, you know, talk about, you know, bitch about play calling over a text <laughs> message, you know. Uh, and, you know, the other thing too is 
I think anyone, you know, when you're watching games with, you know, friends, family members, you kind of have your own inside jokes about, you know, Husker football or certain players or certain certain moments that were funny. You know, somebody freaks out during a bad play, you know. Um, yeah, laugh about those things. You know, I'll give an example. Uh, we lost to Illinois in Mike Riley's first year, 14 to 13. And we decide to try to go for it on fourth and seven. And uh, Tommy Armstrong throws an incomplete pass, stops the clock. Illinois goes down the field and scores. I think anybody who's listening to this podcast knows me well enough to know that I've never met a fourth down that I didn't like. I want to go for it on every single fourth down. Hunting is for losers. It's for suckers. You know, be the riverboat gambler. Same thing goes for field goals. I'm getting better, but I still, I want to give up, forego the field goal. I want to get the touchdown. Um, Ray was very much like you take your points. And Mm -hmm. so like, I think we had both had quite a few beers, you know, by the end of this game, course, course banquet beer. And uh, I like how, because, because you have your background blurry, the course part was blurred out. Like, like you can't show that. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, after the game, it's just, you know, there, you know, watch the game with a bunch of people and it's just him and I bitching back and forth at one another. And the best part is even, It's one of those things that I kind of laugh about now. Even at his funeral back in November, somebody came up to me who was there watching the game with us, and they're like, hey, remember the take your points game? And I was just like, of course I do, because it was like, no, man, we were trying to salt the game away. You go for it every time. And it's just, you take your points. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it was just one of those things. You know, It became an inside joke on every fourth down that we were going for it. Just be like, hey, man, do you? go for it or take your points you know and so yeah it's uh after after that happened last november in conjunction with you know starting a new job i just you know things kind of got busy in life and you know a lot of it was spent time with um you know people who were also close to ray his um girlfriend of five years carly you know um spent a lot of time with her and her family through that all um and so it was just one of those times where it just felt right to kind of put, you know, Nebraska football in the back, discussing Nebraska football in the back burner a little bit. And um, I, I was in Iowa City still for the game last year, witnessed that, which uh, to quote Ric Flair with a tear in my eye, you know, made you feel a little bit better. Oh, yeah. That's also the most nervous I've ever been during a Husker game. I literally was like, how are we going to F this one up? <laughs> We, we, we are very creative. Yeah, yeah. We almost did. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, um, don't take people, you know, don't take the people you like to watch or discuss Husker football with for granted. You know, you just – you never know. And, uh, yeah, I think that's one of the coolest things about being a Husker football fan or just a fan of, you know, any sports team. You know, it's the friendships that you develop. I mean, I always look at it from the perspective of, you know – my dad took me to my first game when I was about 12 years old and uh, I didn't really care about football before that, but it got me hooked on Nebraska football. And Mm -hmm. to this day, you know, that's what we always discuss. You know, anytime, you know, I'm around him, anytime I call him, it could be in May, you know, and spring ball's already been wrapped up and, you know, we're still, you know, talking about Husker football, what we think is going to happen in the year ahead. 
so I'm here at Coronation doing this show with you. It's important to note we have never met. No. Which in person is weird because we've known each other for, you know, years, six years, years, um, which is a question I have for you off air. We'll, we'll talk, but I had the ability to finally meet our fearless leader, John damn Johnston, uh, last year when I was up in uh, the twin cities and, and watched the Nebraska Indiana game, uh, at his house with him, which was right. an experience. Um, I met Brian Toll, uh, you know, a few times. Um, but I'm here with you recording this on a Friday night at 1030 because of John, because of Brian, because I knew Brian through another side, because I was saying something half coherent on Twitter uh, one day that caught Brian's attention, he brought me on to that other site. But I'm here as a Nebraska fan because of my Ray, so to speak, and that's Josh. That's friend of the show, Josh, who uh, was my roommate when I was up in Shadron for uh, a few months. But I, I was a clean slate. Man, down it, it, in the part of southern Illinois that I'm from, like it's Cardinal baseball, it's blues hockey. It's not – Fighting Illini. It is basketball. You know, they had the the almost undefeated season when they oh, lost five. to North yeah. when they lost to North Carolina in the championship. Um, but it's it it was football was never on the radar. So I went to Nebraska as a clean slate. And the good people of Nebraska, uh, who were by and large Shadron State College students slash employees um, at the time, guys like Josh took me in and taught me the way. And that was in 06. So I've been friends with Josh for 17 years. I have been a Husker fan for 17 years. Like I remember specifically, we went to a, uh, a bar in Shadron called the Sinister Grin. And we watched in 06, watched Nebraska USC. It, it didn't end great, but I had never had that community. Like there, it, it was a, it wasn't a packed bar, but there were twenty people there. I mean, it was a little college town dive bar type thing. So maybe it was packed. I don't know. But you know, sitting there drinking beers and and uh, you know just being you know, like, oh damn, this is what it's like to be part of something. Yep. And that's what that 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 set the hook, right? Uh, and so I've been flopping around for for any time I bring up the quote unquote glory days i did not experience them as a fan i don't think enough people realize that like i didn't i didn't grow up. I, I i've didn't, learned about them in retrospect i didn't grow up a husker fan all i remember is that uh when nebraska faced miami uh in in the 90s i want to say 90 was that 94 january 195 thank you all i know is that my dad was rooting for nebraska Okay, good. I thought you were going to say he's ring for Miami. Because he didn't like, you know, it, it, it's it's the the regional geographic mentality, right? He, and he, Illinois he, is more similar to Nebraska than it is to Iowa. Yeah, but, he, you know, he had that mentality of, there's, there's a heartland, there's some good old boys, not those flashy punks down in Miami. 
you know that that was that was dad's mentality. But I remember we were watching that, and and he he was hopeful that Nebraska would win. So, um, good guy, Mister Mahachko. He he is. He's uh, I don't I don't give him enough credit sometimes. But that was it. Like that was my only knowledge. Um, you got. I didn't have football at high school. I went to a junior college, didn't have football at, at junior college. Then I went to broadcast school for a year. And, and then I went out to Nebraska. I was in country, so to speak, for less than two weeks before I called my first high school football game, Shadron, Nebraska versus uh, at, at Torrington, Wyoming. And I was like, I don't know jack shit about football. <laughs> like I knew the ba- like I knew basic positions, but I remember playing not Madden, but Xbox at the time had their own NFL game. Uh, and so I was like picking up lingo from that and just like casually dropping it into the broadcast until, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was, it, it's these little, these little, it's just my story, you know, and, and my story eventually. Uh, so I, I, you know, whether or not they listen to the show, probably not, but there's a pretty, uh, famous family in Shadron, Nebraska. And they're the McLeans. There's Doc McLean. There's Mrs. McLean. And then three of the four McLean boys were quarterbacks at Shadron High. Two of them were quarterbacks at Shadron State. One of them went to a school in South Dakota. Oldest uh, McLean is Josh. And Josh was friends with Aaron. Aaron and I are still good friends, but Aaron introduced me to friend of the show, Josh. Different Joshes. <laughs> Um, so like every, every step, man, it all led me here. And, you know, it's like, it's like anything else. Like I could still be working in Chattern, but then I wouldn't know my wife and then I wouldn't have my kids. You know, every, every step is, is on the path to where, to what brought me here at this time. I'm grateful for all these steps. I'm grateful for all these people. Hoss, I'm grateful for you. And I'm grateful for you, you know, sharing, you know, I know it's not always easy to, to talk about difficult um, subject matter, and, and tonight we had to do it twice because we had to talk about Ray and we had to talk about Nebraska. So. But um, you know I'm always in your corner, man. You know you're welcome on, on any of the podcasts anytime. Um, uh, for those of you, nobody would know this, um, but occasionally Hoss and I will just pick up the phone and call, actually call you like dial number, not dial numbers, but you know, push buttons and, uh, and talk on the phone for like a half hour, 45 minutes, something like that. And just talk about life, things like that. Uh, so that's what you mean to me. Um, Thanks, Skipper. Y- you, uh, y- you are a, a tremendous person and I'm happy, uh, for, for all the strides that you've taken here in, in uh, 2023. I'm excited to have you back on the, the five hour podcast on, on a, as much as you want to come on basis, um, and, uh, man, I think I've cried enough for one show. What do you think? I think so. All right. Uh, this has been a, a very special coordination overreaction, uh, on YouTube, on the podcasts. And, uh, we appreciate you all greatly. Uh, make sure that, Hey, thank you computer for your windows security, uh, virus and threat protection notification. Um, but we hope, Hey, drop us comments, uh, this is not live, obviously, so I'll try to go back and read the comments. And then Haas is going to join us next Friday night, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about Ben Scott. you got a much better memory than I do, Haas, so don't forget. Uh, and then we will get geared up for 
uh, how did you say say it? Uh, that that piss is going to be hot or something like that for Colorado. Yeah. Yeah, my piss will be hot for the Colorado game. <laughs> well, at least it won't be in a balloon. No. Oh. No, this one's uh this one's important. Uh last time or Colorado in 18 was the first time that John Dam Johnson joined us and we became the tripod. See, I I don't th- this is my my I'm brain is memory, man. I that's that's fine. My brain is okay, that show's done and everything gets flushed. I Sometimes, remember some of the strangest shit. It's great, but th- I'm going to make you start to do the write-ups for these articles for, for yeah, coronation yeah. because like, I got to go be like, what the hell did we talk about? I know it was just 20 minutes ago, but what the hell did we talk about? <laughs> so that's my cross to carry, uh, my burden to bear. Uh, Haas, uh, you're great, man. Thank you so much. Um, Thanks, don't great. hang up because we have to have the post-production or, or post-recording production meeting. Uh, this is again, coordination overreaction. Tell all your friends, leave a comment. We'll try to address them on the five heart next week. Where will we, where we will be back live with uh, myself, Hoss Reuter, John Dam Johnston, the tripod rides again. And that sounds like a blue chew ad. <laughs> so, um, uh, I don't know how to end this one because it's not the five heart. So I can't say the usual. So instead I will just say, go big red, uh, restore the order.